I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham and joining me this week is... Campbell A. Campbell of Little White Lies, Crack Magazine, and One Room with a View. How you doing? Uh, hello, I'm pretty good. Thanks. Enjoying the latest soda burgers. <laughs> the soda burgers. Good, 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 good. Well, stop listening because it's all downhill from here. That's the peak <laughs> of the podcast. It's been a good one. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. See you next time. Right, um, <laughs> We're done. Yeah. <laughs> and also joining us is Steph Watts from Film 4 and One Room with a View as well. How you doing, Steph? Hello, I'm good. Yeah, um, we're excited to get back into uh, another retired burger. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how a man can retire and yet continually crank out two TV shows uh, and two films. Yeah, he just uh, seems to be just knocking him out in his spare time. It's yeah. a hobby now. Yeah, putting us absolutely all to shame. Uh, this is Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, which follows Sawyer Valentini, uh, who relocates from Boston to Pennsylvania to escape from the man who's been stalking her for the last two years. While consulting with her therapist, Valentini unwittingly signs for a voluntary 24-hour commitment into the Highland Creek Behavioural Centre. Now, the trailer and poster for this film, I might say, were interesting. We don't want to say it looked like a student film edited on iMovie, but that was definitely the perception. I think that might have been, yeah, the perception when we saw the trailers come out. So they shot on iPhones kind of doesn't exactly look like the most beautiful film on earth i quite like the posters though her kind of eyes move yes about. well this is the second the second poster with her yeah her oh, eyes yeah. are cut out and moved to one side of the frame but the first poster that had her face on top of her own face and then all around the edges it said is she or isn't she is she or isn't she <laughs> and uh it felt like some like intern had just been told like you know i think this film's like is she crazy or not? Like, that's the point. <laughs> like, wow, well, maybe if we, like, put her face on top of her face. But this is great, actually. Uh, it sounds like we're laying into it, but this is definitely not a film to, I think, take too seriously. There's a lot in the film, and there is subtext to it, which we'll delve into, but its first point is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd say so. It's You can't really regard it as, like, a highbrow thriller or anything. It is very much in a B-movie territory. It's just kind of very lurid thrills. Mm. Yeah, uh, so to give some background on it, so we've got Steven Soderbergh, who obviously has directed lots of wonderful, wonderful films. Last year he came back into feature film territory with Logan Lucky, which 
uh, as much in, in its form was quite traditional. He was trying to reinvent the idea of how a film might get distributed and marketed, that he was very much taking a stance on how this film was being sold to people um, and how it was being funded. And I think he's mm. trying to retake control of how his films are being seen in that respect. But in this film, he's taken that a step further and he's taken complete control of how it's being made as well. Yeah, he also had that um, he had that TV show where it was like the interactive yeah. um, thing as well, where it started off as a game, but then got it got released as like a straightforward narrative as well. So it just seems to be at the same time while he is like kind of controlling how... It, not just how it's filmed, but then also how it's viewed as mm. well. And it's, there's a lot of kind of experimentation that he's doing that he's kind of taken from his hobbying with uh, just kind of re-editing other people's films and he's kind of applying that to his own work as mm. well. Yeah, talking of that re-editing, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend his recut of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Black and white and uh. with the soundtrack to The Social Network. So Unsane, he, he hasn't written this. It's come from James Greer and Jonathan Bernstein. Uh, these guys' previous credit is The Spy Next Door. Yep, that that silence makes sense. Not ringing a bell. Yeah, no. uh, and prior to that, it was just my luck. So somehow, Sti- yeah, uh, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh has just plucked this out of the ether, and it's it's a lot of fun. We've got Claire Foy, who people recognise us from The Crown uh, and from Breathe last year. She's playing the lead, Sawyer Valentini, and she she's kind of like the only relatively big name that's given a lot of time on screen, and she's our lead into it. And she like we're pretty much with her the whole time. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of mainly her, and it's well, it's kind of marketed as she is the main the main lead in the film. I think it's great, really. It's really interesting to see her in this role. I wouldn't have expected it just from seeing her in The Crown mm-hmm. and in Breathe. It's very kind of. 1950s a nice woman and then this she's very kind of she's quite venomous well i think like we're the, the film kind of asks like when you hear the pitch of the film you're asked to sympathize with that character but actually when you're watching it she's not the most nice person mm. really she as you say she's previously played the character <laughs> a nice woman and this is not her and i think that's that the film takes an interesting line on that that we we don't really like her that much yeah i think uh, I love that they made her a really prickly kind of character because often in these kind of situations where it's always like kind of a very evil person and like this precious lamb or mm. something. And it's uh, I think it's much more productive and interesting to have a character that's more com- well, more complex than that. because She's not thoroughly an, a terrible person, but she's really uh, we see her being very petty um, she says mean. St- she has like mean stuff about people locked away, seemingly because he goes on these like tirades. Yeah, uh, that we see throughout the film, and she's really good at cutting yeah. people down in a sentence as yeah. well. She's got a few one-liners that are just brutal. You guys, uh, you both saw the film in Berlin uh, at the premiere, yeah. and that was with, I imagine, quite a big crowd. And it feels like maybe that's the right kind of environment for this film. I'd say so. Everyone was getting really wrapped up in it. Yeah, it was, yeah, I was was expecting quite kind of a calm audience, but everyone was loving it, like shouting and kind of, because it's such like a fun film to watch with a big crowd. Mm. It's kind of horror, thriller, it kind of walks that line. I was expecting a lot of, just a lot of hesitance to kind of embrace it, like with the festival crowd, because 
the whole iPhone thing, you just can't. You just expect this people to turn their nose up at it. Yeah, mm. well, maybe a bit like uh, when the Netflix logo comes out, like can. Mm. Yeah. Kind of thing. They see the iPhone thing, they see it's a gimmick, and it's a big director just trying to do something on the cheap and hoodwink audiences into spending their money. Mm. But I don't think that's what this is at oh, all. No. This is not M. Night Shyamalan doing the visit and doing a found footage because no one will give him any money anymore. <laughs> this is someone who's really actually committed to this belief. I remember Soderbergh doing a Reddit AMA at the time of Logan Lucky and with the Reddit audience being the Reddit audience there was like a lot of young guys going I'm just starting off in film what do you recommend I do? Um, and other than just watch endless films his point was you've got a film studio in your pocket now go and use it and you see tons of directors doing this kind of thing saying yeah you've, everyone's got a phone these days you can just go out and make films but they're coming from a time when you, that didn't happen. So it's nice to see someone of a different generation actually doing the thing that they're telling young people to do. Yeah, kind of doing what he preaches. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and doing it well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, because it is all, because it is an iPhone, it's not the most visually appealing thing to look at all the way through. But I think the use of an iPhone is just implanted in the film in such a great way like it's really like the phone will be like kind of placed on tables mm. uh, during conversations and it's got it's just really strange like it feels like you're watching um, like a watchdogs episode or something yeah. sometimes because yeah. it'll be like as if someone has just put their phone on a table to like yeah. record a conversation well, it's just really it's, he's uncanny. not using it for the sake of using it he's yeah. using it to figure out what the benefits can be from it uh, and uh, so, like, to me, that's in the cinematography, as you say, that you can you can suddenly put the camera in places that you couldn't previously put it because it is something that fits in your pocket. You yeah. can fit it in gaps of the desk. You can do a tr interesting things with it. But I think he's chosen this script as well because I think he made he wanted to make the thing with the iPhone, and that maybe came first, and then he found the script to suit because he's tying in the form with the theme yeah especially because it's all take a lot of it's taking place in just this one space with lots of confined corridors and rooms and the i guess yeah the size of the iphone does allow for a lot of interesting angles to be taken just within such tiny spaces there's a whole scene that takes place within a cell and yeah it just feels like such a large space no one's like confined to the corner of the room like these characters are able to move really freely without like kind of any intrusion from crew and if yet you feel like you're in the room with them mm. which is just a i think something that would be really difficult to recreate with the setup that soderbergh might normally have yeah it's quite functional it reminded me of dogma cinema in kind of the 90s yeah. where it's just the camera's there to tell the story it's not supposed to be flashy or kind of yeah wow you with all these kind of amazing things and like it does do that but yeah this is definitely more kind of there to fit into these tight spaces just show what's going on um, and stick with the characters quite a lot. Yeah. Throughout, Sawyer has this stalker who may or may not be in her head or not. Um, like That's never really made clear to us. That idea of uh, privacy and surveillance, I think, ties into why he's making this film on a phone. In the press and in the advertising, it's very clear that we know it's been shot like that. Like Everyone's going into this film saying it's the one shot on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And I think he knows that as well. And so all the while I'm thinking, this is actually quite unnerving because in a way it is like someone's filming her the whole time as mm. well. And it adds 
like an extra layer to that and particularly in the moments where she looks into camera during a conversation where it almost feels like you're on the other end of a FaceTime call with her because we know that that's how it's being filmed. That did feel particularly uncanny. I was just I was just thinking that there's a lot of people who have kind of seen the film already who are dunking on it for well myself included for not looking particularly perfect but like you said with the dogma stuff no one particularly remembers Feston for how pretty it looked mm. or something like that it was uh it's really great that the camera is being used in this kind of very intrusive in a really kind of intrusive way mm. um it just does it especially with the with the stalker plot it just feels like the camera is in a, it's just in a space that it's not supposed to be most of the time yeah especially with its really strange placements and the general setting as well. We will uh, get more into the plotty elements at the back end of the podcast, but because uh, I think this film is a bit more on the spoiler territory than the regular stuff we'll talk about, uh, we'll let you know when we're going to dive into that stuff. But yeah, I think you're really right on there. There's there's other stuff about the form that I would like dip into that I'm, I'm not sure why it exists, but I'm just kind of happy to see him experimenting. Uh, that's something really strange is the aspect ratio of the film. You shoot on an iPhone, your footage comes back at 16 by 9, and then this film is 1.56 by 1, and I don't know why. And I, <laughs> I'm sure you guys don't know why or would, would have a reason for that, but like clearly some decision has been made. Because that, he's messing with us. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Like Maybe it's, yeah, because it's going to going to make you more scared <laughs> a more um, confined frame. yeah yeah i i don't know because yeah if you're going to do that do like four by three or one by one or something yeah, but this is like way academy ratio yeah <laughs> but this is like maybe that is it that it's a ratio you don't recognize and that's what makes it spookier <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah as soon as I saw the first frame, I got chills. I was like, yeah, "Why? Is it, where's the letterbox? Yeah, this is the real horror. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, let's get a bit more into the uh, performances in the film. It's very much led by Claire Foy. Um, I think she does a great job uh, a lot of the time because of the where she is in, in a mental institution where people's conversations are not taken seriously. It means mm. that she's having to do a lot of acting either against herself or against people that aren't actually replying to questions. Like, there's not a Q&A back and forth in the dialogue. She will ask a question and someone will reply by telling her to do something because it's such an awkward way of dealing with other actors. She does a great job with Yeah, I think she handles a lot. The, I think the film goes through a lot of uh, fairly big moments and tone changes as well, and she handles those really readily because one minute will be a... You'll kind of get the Soderbergh wit, like people mm. will be tra trading barbs, and then it will turn into... almost into horror territory Yeah, with some of the stuff that's going on. Well, I on. think a good point uh, to talk about with exactly that is the opening 10 minutes of the film. We're, we're establishing her at work, uh, her colleagues, her on her phone to her mum, her going to a bar, her going on a Tinder date, her being quite cold and direct with men and then bringing her back to her apartment. This has kind of been 10 minutes and you've almost forgotten that this is a horror film. Like, she's quite witty. She like It's like you're looking in Erin Brockovich territory for Soderbergh. <laughs> and then she's just looking at a guy in her apartment and screams and flips out and runs into a wall. And then you remember what film you're in <laughs> and where this is going to go. But like that she can flip like that and it doesn't seem comical. Like She really yeah. manages to balance it so well. 
Yeah. I don't want to call it like fragi- fragility or anything, but I think uh, she walks that. She does walk that line really, really well. It, but it, it, then at the same time, it is. I think she's at her most enjoyable. It is kind of on a base level at her most enjoyable when she's just letting loose at people. When she's just kind of letting people have it. Yeah. Well, well let's let's get into the hospital. So, um, so as I said, she fl- she flips out um, with another guy. She's kind of. Try, she's moved to this new city, wants to kind of calm down and settle down a bit after moving there to escape her stalker. She thinks, I need to get some help. So goes to this facility what for what she thinks is a therapy <coughs> session and then accidentally signs herself in for 24 hours. And then we start meeting Juno Temple, who plays Violet, who's a patient in the institution. You've got Jay Farrow as Nate, who's kind of her friend, who's... Like, yeah. you're the guy on the inside, uh, <laughs> for want of a better word. Uh, he's the guy who's managed to sneak a phone in. And then, most importantly, is Joshua Leonard as uh, David Strine, who's Sawyer's ex, whom she believes is stalking her. Mm-hmm. And we never are really given fully that confirmation or not. Uh, that's the dilemma at the centre of the film, I suppose. And he is a massive creep. <laughs> so good at it. He, yeah, so good. So kind of, oh, makes your skin crawl, but like in, kind of enjoy watching him. But um, yeah, because I think there's a bit where she thinks she sees him and then sees him for longer mm. in when she's in the hospital and you're kind of questioning, like, is it him? We don't know. Yeah, quite quite enjoyable to watch somebody being so creepy and kind of love to hate him a little bit. Yeah, and I think we're looking at the B-movie side of things that, that they're not trying to make a new type of villain. It's very much you're giving him, like, hairs thinning, he's got a beard and he's got the big round glasses. Yeah. Like, like it's very mm. much playing up to that trope of mm. who the creepy guy is. I found that quite interesting because if uh, Foy is, like, the opposite of a typical victim then he's basically what exactly what we'd expect mm. from uh, her harasser but I think a lot of my favourite parts with um, Leonard's character are when we see him just kind of being a bit pathetic because I think I think it was a lot more compelling when he was someone that we could envision meeting because I think he's just got these very average looks mm. sorry Joshua <laughs> um, he's very, you, he looks like someone you could just bump into um, a lot of the time and you know and apart from the kind of big stalker glasses mm. but yeah the moments where he is this like kind of nice guy and uh, just a little bit mm. limp mm. <laughs> um, uh, among the most compelling for me but then when he does switch on the uh, this guy is a murderer <laughs> vibe. Yeah. Um, I think it's really compelling in that sense too. Yeah, well, that, that that's the two performances there that they have to balance on a knife edge of yeah. that we need to take them seriously at points. We need to have fun at points as well. Mm. Um, and they need to, like, we need to either feel their fear or need to feel their violence. And I think both characters do that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, but let's, before we do delve into the uh, the more spoilery stuff, uh, we want to talk about uh, the kind of subtext reading of the film that I think has changed since Soderbergh would have decided to have made this film because with a bigger audience you guys uh, had in Berlin I only watched with a handful of people uh, what the feeling was afterwards and what people were talking about uh, it was quite a mix um, there were a lot of people I talked to who um, either caught Soderbergh's angle at uh the U.S.'s kind of dodgy paid healthcare system and how easily that can exploit, that can be exploited. But also, uh, there were some people who uh, were a little bit iffy about the portrayal of mental health uh, mm. because um, it is a, it is mo- at its core a story about believing the stories of women. But then at the same time, it also I don't know. I think people were taking it as being a little harsh on Juno Temple's character. Mm. Um, it didn't always have it could be seen as not having a sympathetic light on all of the uh, characters she surrounds herself by but at the same time that's kind of from the necessity of it being a thriller slash horror Mm. movie yeah i guess it was maybe like a little bit lazy in that regard in the way that juno temple's character was handled Mm. i think we've seen it before in girl interrupted yeah, I, like there, there's a certain plot point with her, which is, I think, something we talked about on the show before as well, that is kind of made light of that really shouldn't have been, and this is something that has uh, been brought up with Berlin and a number of other films as well. Yeah, um, and it's and it doesn't feel necessary as well. No, because um, it's done in a particular moment to sell Valentini's, well, maybe ruthlessness and pragmaticness, and then also this. Um, uh, her stalker's like kind of patheticness and mm. uh, maybe violent tendencies, but at the same time, we already this is stuff we already knew, so it did feel like a step too far. Yeah, for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's dive into some of the reveals through the film. Um, do go and see Unsane. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a proper modernization of uh, like the exploitation B movie, I suppose. Uh, uh, try and time it as a double bill maybe it's quite a short film go to the cinema twice just like start with this and then go into something I don't know because um, uh, no one's doing a double bill anymore but do go and check it out uh, and stick around now uh, for a bit more dissection into some third act revelations so main thing <laughs> Matt Damon oh, let's talk about that quality Matt Damon <laughs> <laughs> uh I was just I was really uh, I was really unnerved by seeing him in just presented in that context because you know with the iPhone stuff I feel like the frame rates maybe like bumped up a bit or something because there's something in there and then there's that's making seeing a kind of bespectacled dressed up Matt Damon just suddenly roll up one of the just pleasantly 
<laughs> it was a pleasant surprise, but it was also really yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, um, and we, we mentioned before uh, starting recording that uh, as much as Claire Foy is great, she is not a mega, mega star. Uh, and so this reality of it being on a phone and it feeling like FaceTime, that this could almost be someone that you know because she, like she's not instantly recognisable. Mm. And then you are taken out of the film when three quarters of the way and it's just Matt Damon. Yeah. It's like, like mega <laughs> star. Hey, hey, it's, hey, it's me. I've got your passports yeah. here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of turned from seeing like, oh God, we're, uh, there's, this is someone we could know and then suddenly it feels like you're watching like a celeb Instagram feed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely the point in the film where you realise just everyone's having so much fun with it and just kind of take it as it is. Yeah, and like this is like like one of Damon's lines is, is uh, your phone is your enemy, which I think is really great. There was a book as well. It's been a little bit. It's been a little mm. while since I saw the film, but I remember he had this book with this really oh, great title, yeah. and it's escaping me right now. Yeah, it's like you will die or something like really <laughs> like stupid and on the nose. That was great. This is an opportunity, I think, to talk about Nate's role in the film, mm. who is very much like for the most of it a patient who we think is maybe the most stable patient he's he's managed to get himself a phone and he's helping out Sawyer it plays on our uh, misconception as well that we instantly kind of don't believe him the whole way through as well just because he's in there yeah as well mm. it does kind of hold up a mirror to you and your own perceptions about people with issues of mental health and those kind of institutions and I thought it was really interesting where the uh, just enough information would be withheld to make you kind of wonder about uh, the legitimacy of what they were saying. Like, um, all right, I can't recall seeing Jay Farrow in another feature film, but I thought he was really solid at walking this line between just being really, really slightly suspect, but also really just charming and friendly mm. and a really great. You can you can definitely feel why Sawyer would just anchor onto him, yeah. uh, someone to kind of depend on in that um, in that context. Yeah, and he like very later on in the film is revealed that uh, he is actually a journalist and he's on the inside and he's working on a story about how the hospital is trying <laughs> to convince people that they're suicidal so they can keep them in there and get money from the insurance. And this is total Soderbergh stuff. He absolutely loves a healthcare conspiracy. <laughs> Wait, um, Side Effects was one he did. Yep, really Side high. Effects. Uh, and then Contagion <laughs> has Jude Law's character who's like exploiting pharmaceutical companies because he's like made up that there's a cure for the Contagion disease. And then Side Effects has like stock market stuff to do with pharmaceuticals as well. This is clearly something that he's very passionate about and he's I think he's making people look at a real world topic by giving it an exaggerated version mm-hmm. so that people will actually start looking at how the healthcare system is exploited in that way so what you're saying is uh, Unsane is about ethics in US healthcare yes yeah. <laughs> Unsane is a documentary it's shot on a phone <laughs> how else could they do it She's, she, it's on her phone. She's filming herself, <laughs> guys. It's like the visit for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I really like that stuff. And he's he's really good. You've already mentioned about withholding information, um, even in the Ocean's films as well. Yep. He's great at making you think you've got all the cards, even when it's it's a genre film like a heist film or a thriller where all of the time you know you don't, but he convinces yourself you that you do know what's going on, and then he manages to pull that every time. And I love that yeah. about him. 
He's just, he's like a little magician, <laughs> isn't he? Like he's always got the prestige to bring uh, out. Something up his sleeve at yeah. all times. It's a whole load of fun. And I think it does drag out its ending a bit. I think the same thing happened with Logan Lucky that he does feel a tendency that he needs to tie up every single loose end. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. the, the same happens with Unsane. Yeah. That there's just a few plot points that like with Nate and the journalist and then the head of the hospital needs to be taken down. And uh, there's a, like a lot of steps to get to the end point when we've spent so much time with Sawyer that really that's all I need to know about. I don't really need the rest of it. It also does, yeah. It also loops back around to the beginning with her mm. job as well, which I thought was um, in, in a fairly gratuitous uh, hook as well. With um, what the final scene? Yeah, it was. It's a lot, <laughs> and then it, with that being a lot, and then there's that um, that that freeze frame. Okay, right. Yeah, let's get right frame. right into the final scene stuff. Um, well, like listeners have reached this point, so they've seen the film. Like we can we can mention what happens. Oh uh, yeah. Um, okay. So she ends up talking to her. I think it's her coworker from the beginning of the movie, and she very coldly fires her from her job over lunch, and then kind of carries on eating lunch. But in the distance, she sees a man who very much looks like David Strine. David Strine, and th- so she picks up the steak knife and goes for him. Holds off at the last minute. Good job, Sawyer. Um, and then it kind of ends up in this, her panicked run outside, and then just this freeze frame on her face, just kind of looking back at the camera. This garnered quite a few laughs at my screening. I'm wondering what about mm. yours as well. Um, yep, laughs, but I think for the right reasons. Yeah. I love it, and it's kind of just acknowledging <laughs> what it is and how we should be feeling about the film. I th- he's an intelligent enough director that in 2018 you can't do a zooming freeze frame <laughs> and have red text on someone's face and for everyone to be taking it seriously he knows exactly what it is he knows what he's doing Unsane. and I love it yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I did lo- I did kind of love it it's not traditionally good mm. <laughs> um, that sounds mean well there's the soundbite for the show everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh, put that on the poster oh I hope he's not listening <laughs> But yeah, it really reminded me of the uh, last shot from Jungle Fever when um, it's this very tongue-in-cheek bit where Wesley Snipes' character like clutches his child to his chest and just looks up to the sky and yells, No! And it just stops yeah. like what, mid-sentence. And it just kind of felt like that. Yeah, but I think like this knows what it is. Jungle Fever knows what it is. D- like, compared to Compared to something like <laughs> Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Which is oh, which I is forgot like about that horrible. <laughs> like it, that. Looks, it looks like the scream. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's awful. But yeah, so oh in the end, uh, we we kind of end up where we about back at the start with the whole cycle begins again. Yeah, they uh, kind of tie up all of the loose ends except for hers. Yeah, she's kind of still in the same position, really. I mean, her yeah, her trip to the hospital hasn't helped her at all. <laughs> yeah, but I think like that's important that people come out of it thinking that someone with post-traumatic stress and uh, who's had mental health troubles aren't going to go through a whole other trauma and be cured from that. Mm-hmm. That something something that she has gone through um, is going to leave some stuff behind. And I think it's important that, no matter how silly that ending is, that we do come out of it thinking like that, that she is 
not going to be just completely fine by going through a lot of violent acts. I think it's really important to show that it's a cycle of abuse that she's been through because it's not just one time that he... It's not just one horrible incident. It was a repeated series of things that happened to her. And I guess leaving it open-ended like that does reflect that, you know, it's a thing that people have to deal with forever. Not ju- It's not just isolated. Mm. But. Right. Um, so that is Unsane. Do make sure you go and check it out. Uh, it's not the only thing you can watch this week. We do have on Curzon Home Cinema last week's big release, which was The Square. So you can still watch that in cinemas, which I would recommend for some banging scenes in a car with Justice playing on the soundtrack, just to hear that in some cinema speakers. <laughs> so good. Um, it's popping but, off. Yeah. <laughs> But go and watch The Square. Uh, if you can't see it in the cinema, watch it on home cinema. And when you do watch it, come back and listen to our podcast on that with uh, the director, Ruben Ursland, and the star and man at the moment, Kleis Bang. But that is not the only on-demand service that you can watch as well, because uh, Filmstruck is now here in the UK and have partnered up with Curzon. So Filmstruck, for those that don't know, is the uh, on-demand destination for the Criterion Collection. Uh, it's previously just been in America, and now we've got it here in the UK. Uh, and Curzon are on the service and supporting it and have got their own curated collection from the Curzon programming team so the best of the best stuff on there uh, do make sure you go and check that out as there's loads of things you've got Jules and Jim, The Consequences of Love Funny Games, Andrew Arnold's Wuthering Heights, Amateur Going Back to the Gold Rush, you've got the whole Three Colours trilogy and Campbell you've picked out a favourite from this collection as well Exotica, really wonderful film uh, Anton Egoyan uh, basically I think that anyone who makes jokes about Canadian politeness has not seen Exotica. <laughs> um, really kind of sad tale about a lo- really lonely man played by Bruce, Bruce Greenwood uh, called Francis who frequents a strip club, but it's a strip club that seems to ha- be full of really nice people. He's very right. isolated. Like the one we go there. to. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, just uh, just a nice hangout where you can talk yeah. to people. Yeah. <laughs> it's very complex in how it portrays its characters but it's very straight it's it's weird because it's got a very straightforward narrative and it's just it's just mystifying and it really gets you there <laughs> in this in this film about what's essentially a strip club just, yeah you know and uh <laughs> great opportunity stuff. to find stuff you might not have seen so steph uh wuthering heights for you this is filling in a yeah, gap yeah this is my last andrew arnold film that i need to watch so i'm definitely gonna go and watch that i've been waiting for so long to try and see it yeah uh, and for those excited for Let the Sunshine In, which is the new Claire Denis film out next month, uh, Beau Travai, which is one of our better known films, is on the service as well. So go and watch that too. There's a lot of stuff on that uh, film struck, so do make sure you check it out. In the meantime, uh, I just wanted to quickly read out some correspondence from last week's episode on The Square. Uh, we did ask for some emails. We got some uh, great stuff back. Uh, I just want to highlight uh, Maria Costa, who says, I love the square. Osland is so philosophical in his ventures. He reminds us about the parts of us we'd rather not forget. And uh, Kleist Bang, well, he is wonderful and delicious all at once. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with that. And very much true about uh, reminding us of the parts we'd rather forget. I think Osland manages to do that without... Mm and making something as kind of bleak at times that the square is because it has those big laugh moments that are almost like sketches. 
it makes it a bit more accessible. As Jake pointed out on last week's show, you could kind of put this in a blockbuster audience and there's people are still going to find something in it to relate yeah. to. And the fact that he's managing to make that and make it kind of reflect the worst of ourselves at the same time is quite clever. It's through really surreal stuff too. Mm. Terry Notary. And if you've got any thoughts on Unsane, uh, then do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com. That'll be for reading out on next week's show. Uh, we do love getting these messages uh, and we love reading them out as well. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you uh, do subscribe if you've never listened before. Go back and listen to some of our uh, old episodes. We've got some great guests as well, like Greta Gerwig and Clio Barnard and Sebastian Lelio and Klaus Bang and Ruben Osland. That was all in the last month. Go and listen to all of those interviews. Uh, subscribe, leave us a review uh, on iTunes, and leave us a comment as well. And until next time, it's goodbye from Camberley. Goodbye. Go watch Tomb Raider. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Completely forgot. I, I promised Camberley a bit of Tomb Raider chat. Uh, rewind. Tomb Raider. Great. Yes? Yes. Good parts about The Last Crusade, but with Alicia Vikander and the most impressive six pack I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Like it's set in London, but it actually feels like it. It's not Thor, the dark world, which just has this compact uh, tube map strangeness of geography. This is actually feeling like an actual place. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to love. Plane um, sequence, great set pieces. Uh, I haven't seen The Wave, uh, which is the director's previous film, but the guy knows how to do a water stunt. There's, yeah. He loves water. Yeah. Uh, this crash, this bit with an aeroplane on a waterfall, so cool. I really enjoyed Tomb Raider. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting to, and I really loved it. Like, There's a bit that's proper crystal maze as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it knows ex- puzzle. Yeah, like a genuine crystal maze color puzzle what <laughs> Resu- resulting in uh Vikander dramatically yelling green yeah. <laughs> I, just, I love it yeah and then a strange bald man came out and they went to this like really big glass conservatory and then they had, <laughs> they had to catch these bits of silver uh god and then they won a trophy it was so cool yeah Tomb Raider go chat there's so much on at the moment you got Unsane Tomb Raider and the square brilliant um, we'll go round again. Bye from Steph. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye from Camelot. <laughs> goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>